Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, we welcome the incredible Matthew Murphy to the show. Uh, Matthew is a former Green Beret in the U.S. Army, Special Forces sniper, Special Operations Terminal Attack Controller, Foreign Weapons Expert, speaks Arabic, well-decorated, well-trained uh, the United States Army. He's also the founder and president of Operation Lightshine, which is a nonprofit based in Nashville, uh, USA and uh tennessee and he which that that uh, that actual organization combats uh human trafficking and child export export exportation uh so again matthew it's great to have you on here john thank you so much for having me man it's uh it's an honor to be able to do this with you and, and talk about our mission at light shine and just everything surrounding that and i guess a little bit about my past uh, you know how i got to uh you know starting operation light shine and uh, I think a good starting point, I know before we hit record, we we're kind of just shooting shooting around some ideas. And it's like you mentioned, I know you'd post about this on your uh, platforms before, but the idea that we're sorely lacking heroes uh, in a society that is, for me, it's felt when I was a kid, like growing up, it was like I had like, obviously my grandparents, my parents, the, the close people around me. And then if you look outside of that, there are athletes that I would watch, whether it was like Bobby Orr or Ali and like these old videos, Larry Bird, and even people like John Wayne. And then as you get through college, Pat Tillman for me is someone that I, uh, Prefontaine, these people that were, they weren't perfect people, but there's people that you look at their core beliefs and values and like, man, this could be a hero for me. If it's not my mom or dad, I would follow Pat Tillman to combat. I would follow Prefontaine because I, what they believed in, right? But then you step back, and as I, as I see my nieces grow older and my cousins, it's like, who are their heroes outside of their nuclear family? Like, what celebrity? And I hate saying that word, but what person out there, whether it's an athlete, a musician, the people can look up to and be like, this is a good role model. Like, this is a good person that we need. This is someone that is a light at the end of a very dark tunnel. Yeah. Well, therein lies a problem that we're all facing and around the world right now is we've replaced real life heroes and actors with influencers so so let's let's be honest we live in a world right now where influencers are king they just did a poll for children 14 and under and in america every child wanted to be a vlogger youtuber influencer and that was number one you know so what we're seeing is is people are misplacing their energy their attention and really their, their admiration into things that don't exist. So what I mean by that is, is everyone wants to be an influencer, right? Everyone wants to be this person online behind a camera doing the latest dance or song or, you know, cool, funny video, but that's not reality. You know, everybody is, has their admiration and their goals now to be something of, of someone that gets a lot of likes, a lot of follows, a lot of clicks, a lot of views. And unfortunately, those these are people who are not really doing much in the you know the real world, like where we all live. So we're all spending, like, you know, everybody talks about the metaverse as this thing that's like coming, 
Oh, no, no. The metaverse is already here and we all live in it. The average kid spends seven to nine hours a day on this. You know, so if you're spending seven to nine hours a day on this and you're a kid, you're spending eight hours in school. Well, hopefully you're spending, you know, eight hours right. sleeping. You know, I'm not bad at math. I'm not great at math, but that's that's the whole day. So you're spending your life in a phone, in an online fake world, liking and following and commenting and creating content to get more views and likes and follows in this world. And you're doing nothing in the world around you. And that's happened. We're all guilty of it. I'm guilty right. of it. I, I spend more time than I like on my phone with work. But yeah, a notification pops up, I go on Instagram. Next thing you know, I'm watching a stupid reel of a, a baby and a puppy playing outside. And while that's a, you know, some of that in moderation is a healthy distraction, our youth and our young people, usually the most motivated and driven, they're living their lives in this fake reality. And meanwhile, you know, let's be honest, the world's burning around them. Right. You know, so so we've we've got to we've got to find a way. Now you can't make this go away. If I if I could pr press the nuke button and get rid of every cell phone and bring everybody back to flip phones and Motorola razors and you know where you could just text and call each other, man, I think that would save humanity. Um, but we've got to figure out a way to get people off these phones, limit their participation in these artificial realities and get them back into living in the real life you know one one thing that i've realized is trying to figure out this battle that we fight with operation light shine to to stop child exploitation and human trafficking and you realize like okay for a charity i need to get awareness right i need to let people know how bad the problem is i need to let people understand that this isn't something that happens in other countries it's happening in your backyard Child exploitation is happening to hundreds of thousands of kids across the United States of America as we speak. You know, how do you wake people up to that? So you make videos and you put content out there and you put information out there and you try to get people aware. But what are you doing when you start to learn the marketing and the game of social media? You're trying to create a reel that's just short enough, impactful enough, not too scary, you know, not too fluffy to get, get the point across, to get people to action. And you have about a 15 to 30 second window attention span that gets smaller and smaller and smaller right. every day. And then they see your reel and they might care. They might understand it's a problem, but you know, then the next reel, and then there's the next reel and then it's the puppy and then it's the baby. And then it's the hot girl with their booty hanging out. And then, you know, five minutes down, five minutes down the real road, you've completely forgotten about the problem with human trafficking or any other problem that's going on in the world. And you've probably been introduced to about five to 10 other problems in those five minutes right? that that aren't in your backyard that are happening in Ukraine or Asia or everywhere else. And now you're just freaked out, scared, and you're thinking about all the problems in the world instead of focusing on the one little sphere that you control reality in the, in the, you know, the city, the town, the neighborhood that you live in. It's, and again, I wouldn't have found you without social media, Instagram and I think there is a, obviously there is positive, like you said, uh, reasons why social media and stuff can make a change. But one thing for you, and I guess the follow up you said with the subject matter of human trafficking or the fentanyl crisis currently, the real epidemic and pandemic happening in the world right now, is it is is the subject matter that is what scares people into not wanting to appreciate whether it's a real or a video clip of a real situation? Um, 
Because like grow like when you see these kids, these same kids that are watching reels, they've played Grand Theft Auto, they've played all the cool Call of Duty games. So the, the idea of violence and the criminals and stuff like that from TV and all that stuff, I'm shocked that more kids aren't like, holy shit, like this is this is a real issue. Like I play these games where I, I gotta fight cartels and all it's like, but this is stuff that's really happening. People are really losing their lives, families are being destroyed by drugs and all this criminal empire activity. And it's like how do how do you use something like uh like Light, operation lightshine where you have to get to these kids and be like this is a real problem this is a great organization but just listen here are, the, are kids just too lazy to or even adults too lazy to understand what's going on or is it just so much easier to watch a twerking video like I, I'm trying to understand this whole thing you know, I, I've watched this with my daughters and I, I'm glad you asked this. I, I'm guilty of it. You know, I, I'm a parent, but because of my career and everything, I, you know, I was divorced. My, my daughters don't live with me. You know, I get them twice a month if I'm lucky. They're, you know, I live in a different town. And I've seen this evolution and change in children from my 14 my year old daughter and my 10 year old daughter. The, the current people that are following them and liking them or the cool kids, you know, the club they're they are that online it's not really real life anymore they go they'll be sitting with their friends talking to each other on the apps and the comments and the likes and the clicks and you know they'll, they they start relationships on there they break up with each other on there they're not even really physically in relationships anymore which i have daughters i'm happy <laughs> you know right, right. you know for that right but you know, the, it's really tearing down humanity because they're not learning how to interact with each other. They're not learning emotional response because, you know, the way that we learn is through the emotions and the reaction, the responses of others. So if you and I were sitting together at a table and I said something that hurt your feelings, I would realize that hurts your feelings because I would see the effect that it had on you physically. And then I would feel regret, remorse. And then, you know, hopefully if it was a good person, apologize or try to make it better. Well, when you do hurtful things to people online, there is no regret. There is no remorse. There is no that, of that you know, physical need to get that response. So these kids are becoming detached from realities. Their identity is in their phone. You take a teenager's or a child's phone or iPad away now, you've ruined their life. Oh, yeah. you've made, you know, and that that's what's scary. It's it's not that they're the the kids are bad people. It's that the world we're allowing them to grow up in and what we're allowing them to do is really changing their childhood but not only that it's changing who they are at the fabric of, like the the core of them as as a person because all of those necessary life lessons that they should be getting and you know the interactions they should be having with other people are not happening in person anymore they're happening online so we're losing our kids we've literally yeah. lost our kids and it's when I was a kid like growing up like I remember it was an old Italian neighborhood with my grandparents and my parents bought the house and we would do stuff as kids and whether throwing rocks or just being good kids, having fun out there. But we had neighbors that saw everything. Now, if we mm -hmm. did something really funny or cool, my parents knew about it for them. If we threw a rock too close to their car or were roughhousing, they saw me throw my sister or my friends hit me with a stick. They'd say something to my parents. Like everyone was aware of this town. Every grade you got, every goal you scored, everyone was aware. And I'm sure there were the 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 people on the outside that maybe the perverts or obviously bad people exist in every generation. But it felt like 
I could still be a kid because I know my parents knew what I was doing. If my neighbor knew what I was doing, I knew my parents knew what I was doing. And it's like, is, again, when you have kids these days, it's like my mom is a, is a teacher's aide would deal with some of these kids and she'd be like, well, why are you watching this? Or why you don't dress like this or don't dress like that. And she, they'd be like, well, my, my parents are never home to help me dress or pick up what I think or what should I wear. And I think based on this video I saw, I need to wear this type of skirt. And so mm -hmm. it's like my mom is being acting as a mother for someone else's child. It's like the excuses you always hear. And even my friends or family that have kids now that I'm just so busy with work. And it's like, well, hold on a second. I, I get that you have to help provide food and a roof. Like, I, I get it. But is your first responsibility as a parent to make sure you're the proper leader for your kids? It's like, where do we draw the line? Maybe you could talk about this. Like, what is the yeah. duty of parents? Like, how do you, as a single father, or as a father like mm -hmm. you that's got the kids yeah. and do your stuff here, you have to micromanage all this other stuff you're doing. It's like, yeah. obviously it's doable, right? It is. It's, well, it's definitely doable. I, I think we've forgotten how to be parents as a you know collective humanity we've forgotten how to be parents because we are starting to allow everyone else to raise our children but us you know we're so distracted in life and and arguably we're so distracted on our phones that we're allowing the schools and the phones to raise kids they're not on the tv anymore they you know kids don't really watch tv anymore they play video games and they're on their ipads and their iphones I mean, even adults don't really watch TV anymore unless it's Netflix, you know? So the problem with phones is this, you know, when you pick up a phone or you give your child a phone, you give them access to the world, right? So what most people don't realize is there is zero learning involved on a cell phone. There's no learning. If I want to know anything, all I have to do is type it in and the answer is there. So we're starting to see logic disappear, problem solving disappear in children. We're starting to see kids, the intelligence scores and the collective test scores in this country are slowly going downhill. And that's because kids are not having to try to figure out answers anymore, right? There's no arguments about, well, you know, what, what this is or who did this or who did what. If you have any conversation about anything, you just Google it and boom, the answer's there. So the, the human mind isn't working anymore. It's shut off on your phone. So, so we're, our kids are just becoming, you know, mindless drones on cell phones and on these apps. And what parents aren't doing is parenting because the same thing has happened to us here. Now here's what's scary. And, and I'm going to lead into what parents should be doing, but what's scary is, is that when we become these drones as adults, we've already had for the most part, all of us, you know, whether you had parents or not, you had good influences in your life. You had to learn your own lessons. You couldn't just Google everything. You know, you had to figure things out with your buddies and your friends running around the neighborhoods, riding your bikes, you know, learning what not to do through, you know, correction. I do something stupid. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> you know, like uh, I, I make that ramp too tall. I'm going to end up in the hospital, you know, like, but you learn all that stuff the hard way, those necessary life lessons. Well, these kids aren't learning that. I come home every day and I just moved out of, uh, I lived in downtown Nashville forever, but now, you know, I'm in, uh, engaged and a baby yeah. on the way. And so we moved out of town and we're, you know, in the suburbs now I come home or in and out and I, in the mornings I leave, there's tons of kids all over this neighborhood hopping on school buses. 
you know, I come home in the early afternoons, evenings, there's no kids outside playing. No one's running around kicking a soccer ball. You know, kids aren't running around to the neighbor's houses. They are in their homes on these devices. So here's where it gets dangerous. You just gave your child access to the world and there is no longer any thought process. Stranger danger is no longer a thing, right? Because now you've just given the world access to them. And this is what parents don't realize, and so many are just oblivious to, is that when you're on your phone as a child, content is tailored towards you. TikTok in two hours can build a box around you and know oh. everything there is to know about you. Two hours. That's what TikTok claims. So they start to, algorithms just shoot content that you will enjoy, and then they can start to lead you down rabbit holes. Who are these advertisers? Who's in charge of these algorithms? What content are they putting in front of your child? Where are they steering your child's thoughts? Where are they steering your child's morals, their values, their, the, what they fundamentally believe in, right? Where are they steering these things? Are they trying to destroy their morals and values or what they fundamentally, fundamentally believe in? What's the agenda? I mean, are they trying to get them to buy a product? That's what marketing used to be. But now they're trying to get them to think a certain way, be okay with certain things, open their minds up to new right. you know, ideologies. So if you're not parenting and you're letting your kids sit there on the phone, the phone is parenting. Right? Now, here's what's different than us and our children. My parents, you know, they, my parents weren't perfect. No one's parents are. Right. But they were actively involved in my life. They made sure I played sports. They made sure I got out of the house. They made sure I, I was able to maintain friendships. You know, they made they made sure I was be, you know friends with the right people. Well, and they and they wouldn't let me hang out with certain kids if they acted a certain way or if their parents let them do certain things or I wouldn't wasn't able to go to that house. My parents watched over me. They gave me morals. They gave me values. They taught me right and wrong. I did something bad. I was disciplined. I did something good. I was praised. And I had a healthy childhood. Now you look at where kids are today. They don't know who their kids' friends are. They don't know what right. their kids are talking about. They don't know what content their child's looking at. And, oh, my kid's a good kid. He'd never do that. Right. I mean, we were all 10, 11, yeah. 12, 13, 14. You know, oh, no. here's where it's scary. You hear blowjob at school, right? Who doesn't hear blowjob or sex or penis or vagina or any of those things as children? You could be six years old and Google penis and vagina. What's going to pop up on Google? Right. What links can you go down? What next? Kids at six and seven years old are getting addicted to pornography before they've even hit puberty in America right now. You know, we are we're on a path for destruction because we have totally lost this generation. You know, as a collective, we have totally lost this generation. So parents need to be parents again. Parents, we need to get off our phones. When we're with our kids, put the phones down. We need to start taking our kids outside, playing sports with them, games with them, getting them to read books, introducing them to concepts, but safely. You know, a child's mind is clay. It's clay. Yeah. And they are sponges for everything, all information they absorb. But parents used to protect and shield the child 
and keep them away from information and things that they the parent did not deem the child was mature enough for yet, right? You deflect it. You give them those strong morals and those strong values. You wouldn't let them read books that were bad. You wouldn't let them watch TV shows they shouldn't watch. You know, that's why there used to be, I'm sure there still is, but no one cares anymore, age limits for movies, yes. age limits for music. And we we used to, as parents, we used to protect our children. We used to make sure, because we knew that the job we did as parents and the foundation that we set into our children would then allow them to go out into the world when they're 13 and start to experience and hear about sex. But they had that strong moral foundation, that value system, that right and wrong. We, we believe we've taught, our, we've taught our kids right and wrong. So if they go out in the world, they make a mistake. They revert back to what their parents told them. Eventually they will. You know, well, now you don't know what your kid's doing. The average teenager spends seven to nine hours a day on the phone. Seven to nine hours a day on the phone. So like I've said earlier, if they're in school and sleeping, who's parenting? Who's raising yeah. them? Who's teaching them right and wrong? Who's making sure that all this information they're getting, that there's a there's a filter system where there's someone that they can talk to be like, hey, that's not right. You know, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't watch that. Here's what could happen to you if you do. That doesn't exist anymore. And so we're losing our kids. When it comes to, again, social media and the ideas, when it, we, as we start to transition to talking about the human trafficking itself, mm-hmm. a lot, when, the, when the pandemic first happened, when the Epstein Island stuff and the Maxwell, and I remember some Wayfair stuff about human uh, trafficking, and then the Balagencia stuff recently, which I want to talk about, all that mm-hmm. stuff was like, I I, am, I I have got to the point now in my life where it's like, hey, just because I question something or I want to learn more about something doesn't mean I don't whether believe in it or not. I'm also not a conspiracy theorist because I'm asking questions. Right. But as it comes to kids and specifically you as a father now, if your child or one of your kids' friends is like, hey, I saw this video on TikTok. It's about human trafficking, but I don't know if it's real or not. They say it was conspiracy theorist stuff. How do you navigate and t- teach your kids about what's really happening in the world as it relates to social media and the aspect that it's easy to label something conspiracy theory when they don't want you to understand what's really happening? Right. Well, you know, so here, here's the, the the problem that we all face as parents now, because like I said we were all blindsided by this. You yeah, know, we didn't know what was going to happen with social no. media and tech and phones and the things that our kids would be experienced because we were blindsided by it too. Well, we didn't have this in childhood. Nobody gave us, prepared us for this. So here's, before I jump into that, I want to explain this, right? Anything we let our children do that's dangerous, right? Drive cars, go hunting, shoot guns, play sports, ride, ride a dirt bike, whatever. We make sure we teach them, Right. And we make sure we train them and then we don't get, let them on it until they're mature enough or the keyword old enough, right? Like a car, for instance, if I want my child to buy a car or uh, I'm sorry, not buy a car, if I want my child to be able to learn to drive at 16, when they're 15 and they get their learner's permit, I'm out riding around the neighborhood, yelling at them, don't do that, you know, and then get them to the point where I, as a parent, believe they are ready to go to the DMV. Then the state gives them a test, you know, written and uh, and physical driving the car, and then they get a license if they pass. But then when they get this license and they're behind the car, they're out on the public roads. So there's signs, there's laws, there's rules, and there's cops that'll pull you over if you don't follow right. them, right? 
and you get a ticket. Well, the most dangerous thing in our children's life now is this cell phone. And there's no training for us as parents. There's no training for children. And we just say, good luck. But what it's doing is it's literally altering their lives. And we've all been blindsided by that. So as a parent, what I, I've experienced so far is you are no longer in control, really, or able to watch over what your child learns or how soon they learn it because all of it's right there. You know, your your kid can be on your iPad playing a video game and the next thing you know, God knows what they click on or pops up or they look for, right? So what I found is I am in, instead of a proactive parenting mode, I'm in a reactive mode trying to slowly figure out what they know or, you know, or what they've seen or what's right. on their mind. Because, you know, my daughters know who I am and you know, what I've done and, you know, what I do, they, they definitely know that. So what scares me, are they going to talk to me about a lot of this crap that they see or that somebody tells them or sends them? Are they going to be scared to, to approach this with me? So I try to just have open conversations with my daughters, conversations I never thought that I would be having with a 10-year-old or a 14-year-old girl. But the sad reality is, is that because of social media, because of the internet and all these things, there's really nothing I could talk to them about that they haven't seen, experienced, searched, or been shown by a friend. And that's sad. Right. You know? Um, so it, it's really just trying to maintain that trust with them, not be an overbearing parent, you know, not be a helicopter parent. But at the same time, man, it takes every ounce inside of me sometimes to be able to sit down and have these conversations with them. Right. But the, the, the reality is I, they've seen it, they know it, and they might not always understand what they've seen, but now they have questions and right. now they want to know. And so I've just got to be proactively reactive, if that makes sense, you know, trying to be not their friend, their parent, but trying to be that trusted source in their life. Right. Where they, you know, they see some stuff, they experience some stuff they want. They know that they come to dad, that dad's not going to beat up on them or get mad at them or, you, you know, uh, upset that 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 I'm, I'm, they can have confidence in sharing stuff with me and I'm going to help them through, you know, whatever that is. So they're very aware of like what Operation Lightshine is, like kind of some of the, so at least they have that type of like, well, wow, maybe he's, he's helping vic victims that are younger than us. And it's like, so it's, that's kind of cool there where it's like, they at least understand where you're coming from as a father and as the leader of this organization. Yeah, they, they, they do. Um, but it's tough. Like, you know, I don't want my daughters to, to know that there's men and women out there that are trying to sexually exploit them. I don't want that to be a reality in their life. I, I don't want to have to have those conversations with them, you, you know, that, that, that so they can understand when people are talking to them or saying certain things to them that they have ulterior motives, you know, because I'm not going to, I can't protect them. I can't watch every conversation. I can't be involved in everything, you know, and, and, and that's really where Light, Operation Lightshine, you know, comes into play in this um, is it's not just, you know, and this is the crucial mission, rescuing the victims and helping supporting, you know, overseas, rescuing the victims and working by, with and through local governments and entities. And here in the States, supporting the police with equipment, technology and training to go rescue more victims. It's not just that. 
we're trying to build this multidisciplinary approach to where, you know, we can establish and make the aftercare system better to get the mental rehabilitation and care and, and safety and protection that these girls and boys need. We're trying to really bring awareness to the fight just as much as rescues because nobody knows what to do, you know? Right. Like, you know, to teach them about how to be safe online, how to, how to use their phones, how to not talk to certain people, teach parents how to appropriately engage these conversations with their children and, and, and help their children navigate this new world that we're living in. Uh, because we're never going to be able to rescue our way out of this problem. But through education and awareness, we can make more parents and children aware of the environment that's out there and the threats. Because just like I said earlier, you give your kid this phone and they have access to the world. Well, the world now has access to them, you know, through every game they play, every social media app they're on. And, you know, kids are creative. Let's let's face it. You know, when I was 13 and 12, 13 and, you know, started to be attracted and look for girls, we were all looking for the, you know, the, the guys in the neighborhood whose dad had a Playboy stash, you know, and, you know, kids, kids are creative and they, they find ways to get what they need and what they want. Right. And a lot of parents just put these apps on their phone. Where, oh, my kid can't look at that. I'm like, OK. And within five minutes, your kids Googled how to get around that. Or their friends told them how to get around that to see what see what they want to see, you know. So even these apps aren't really good at keeping them safe. The only solution to this is is we have to get parents to realize they need to put the phones down. Kids, they need to put the phones down. There needs to be everything within reason. They need to regulate their time spent on social media. They need to be empowered with the knowledge that you know is necessary in order to be able to navigate this world. Because here are the facts. Depression is up 60% in children since 2007. Do you know what came out in 2007? iPhone. Yeah. yeah. Up 60%. Yeah. Suicide rates in kids are skyrocketing. Self-esteem issues. All these girls are constantly, every day, inundated with hot chicks and nice bodies and all these influencers. They're, look, teenage girls now are trying to get plastic surgery to make themselves look better online because they don't feel adequate anymore because all the boys are liking and clicking the hot girls and now they're just nothing and nobodies and they their, their identity and their worth is in their following or in you know um how many people are liking and commenting and clicking and they have they're, they're starting to lose their own self-worth in the world world man we, we are headed for really yeah. really tough times so we're playing catch up and so operation Lightshine is trying to attack uh you, you know all of this, you know, in this multi multidisciplinary approach, you know, as we start to expand across the country. Um, but it's, it, man, it is, it has been the most rewarding and difficult journey in my life. It, this, you know, I, I did 17 years. I'm still actually not retired. That's a whole nother story, but uh, I'm sure we can talk about that <laughs> in a minute. Uh, but, you know, I did 17 years in the military, uh, working with other government agencies and everything else. And that was difficult. Fought wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, um, you know, seen it all, done it all pretty much. Uh, nothing. I think all of that prepared me for, for this battle, this this fight that that I'm in now with Lightshine, because this, this is just like nothing I've ever seen. Well, I think it's a good leeway for me because I was curious with all your time spent in the military, obviously 
the horrors of war, whether there is PTSD involved. Um, but how are you able to, you, you fight 70 years of one war collectively, and then here you are on the streets fighting another war that's happening. And it's like, is there ever a moment with you when, when you're doing a current thing for Lightshine where you come across or your organization hears of a story where uh, it's a trigger warning from your past actions in combat where you're kind of like, holy shit, I can't get away from these emotions or these seeds and visions in my head. No, I've, I've never had that issue, man. Um, I don't know if I'm wired different. I don't know if it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, but my justification for this is I truly believe I was put here to be a warrior. That's all I've done my whole life is fight. That's all I know how to do is fight, fight for good. Right. You know, there's a difference in a wolf and a sheepdog. Right. Um, You know, and having empathy for my fellow man, you know, but I've seen evil. I've fought evil. I've faced evil. And because I know what evil is, I know what good is. And the thing that keeps me going and really, I don't really lose sleep. I don't have a lot of bad dreams. The thing that keeps me going is knowing that I'm doing something to make someone else's life better, right? right. And it, the more, if I spent time, you know, like before I started the charity on the couch, drunk, depressed, suicidal, PTSD, woe is me, you know, shit. If I if I spent my time, you know, in, in that dark place, then I'm not doing, I'm not doing my daughter's. Any, right. any favors as her father i'm not doing my fiance any favors you know as 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 her partner i'm not doing my company my friends any favors and, and at the end of the day i'm not i'm not accomplishing my mission right my mission is to save children uh so that is what keeps me going some some people might say oh it's an obsession some people might say oh man you got no like we're not living in a world right now where you can just go sit next to the lake and toss your fishing pole in the water and everything's going to be fine. We're, we're literally living in a world that's uh, tumultuous. It's chaos and, and our life and our future is changing right before our very eyes. And you have so many people with their heads buried in the sand um, and just distracted and only worried about themselves and not realizing that unless you start worrying about your community, unless you start doing things in the real world, that pretty soon, you know, this problem is going to be at your doorstep too. Right. And then what are you going to do? It's like that Nehemiah point, you know, first they came for the Jews. Yeah. Uh, and, And I did nothing because I wasn't a Jew. Well, we live in a society of a lot of people who are doing nothing. Yep. Right. You know? And so I created Operation Lightshine to be a vehicle for change to save humanity. Because if you can't get behind saving children, the one, the most precious thing sacred in our yeah. life, right? If you can't get behind saving children, then you've got nothing left. You know, maybe you belong sitting in your closet, you know, uh, pretending like nothing's wrong with the world because we don't need you. You know, like we need people who understand what's happening to our society and what's happening to our kids and want to get off their ass and do something about it. And, you know, myself and the team at Operation Lightshine, we built something that they can get behind, that they can support, and that is actually making a difference. Before we're active, when you were active in the U.S. Army doing everything you were doing, how aware were you? Like, Because for me, I didn't really know about human trafficking. I mean, you would watch the movies or you see like the documentaries about the cartels and stuff. So I was aware of that, but it wasn't until Epstein Island stuff, and the Maxwell stuff where it's like, it came out at a time where everyone was at home. 
And my, mm-hmm. my, I guess my question to you is, were you aware of this type of stuff in the military like 10, 15 years ago? Like, what was the catalyst that finally mm-hmm. got people to start asking these questions? Because yeah. thank God they did, because questions are now being answered. And this whole spider web that you've kind of talked about is starting to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, so, you know, COVID was a unique time in human history. Obviously, the world shut down. Yeah. You know, and we all were trapped in our homes, uh, either willingly or oppressively, one of the yeah. two. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we we were just inundated with information. Now, COVID did a lot of good things, but it also did a lot of horrible things. Besides what we all Correct. know, Correct. Psycho- psychologically, what COVID did was it made people live in a bubble and build an echo chamber, you know, um, and you're, you, you tailored your echo chambers and your knowledge based on what you thought was happening with COVID. And that's why we're the most divided, uh, I believe, in human history right now, because there is no middle ground. I, I was talking with a buddy the other day who's a part of the board of the charity. He's like, you're either in your echo chamber or you're in a fist fight. There's no in between. Yeah. You know? and, and you can't have a, a reasonable conversation with someone who disagrees with you anymore. You know, uh, so what COVID did was COVID allowed us to go down rabbit holes for days, man, oh, you know, God. because we had nothing to do. Those first you know, six months were in pure insanity. Literal insanity. You're like yeah. statistics, facts. Everyone's going to die. No, they're not going to die. Right. You know, the, the deep state's trying to take over the world. You know, like, dude, there was so much stuff going yeah. on. You know, and, and there's some truth in some things. There's lies in some things. <laughs> but, you know, the conspiracy theory model, everybody says, oh, you know, like, now everything's being proven. That the conspiracy Correct. theorists are being proven wrong, you know, or I'm sorry, right. Oh, my bad. And it just goes to show you that they're not necessarily conspiracy theorists. What they were is people that didn't see, didn't didn't eat the bullshit, you know, so to speak. Yeah. They were eating up all this nonsense. They were looking at things logically and factually. And, you know, unfortunately, with social media, we have given anyone the, the power to spew their nonsense. We've given everyone the power to spew their, you know, put their agenda out there and put numbers out there and if it goes viral it's true right if it has more likes it's true if it has most comments it's true the most shares it's true you know so we've given any idiot the ability to do stuff and we have so many people out there that take half truths and they make assumptions and they run yeah. with it, you know and we've removed logic science data statistics and facts from the equation and we've filled you know reality with idiots you know, and what has also happened, a lot of the human trafficking stuff was bullshit. I hate to say it, man, and apologize for saying shit a lot. I was in the military. I'm in rehab. No, I love right it. Now. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, yeah, so, um, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of it was nonsense. You know, some of it was true. Obviously, the Epstein stuff was very, very true. Uh, you know, Gazelle Maxwell is the first woman who was, you know, uh, arrested for human trafficking to nobody. You know what I mean? Uh, there's there's so many things that happen in that. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the truth of human trafficking is bad. But here's what happened is you've got most people focused on, you know, what they think is this elite network of, you know, politicians and whatever, yeah. you know, trafficking humans and drinking the blood of babies and all this stuff. You've got them totally distracted, just obsessed with that. 
when in reality, people are being trafficked probably in your county, probably in your city, yeah, you know, right under your nose. You know, there's real victims in your neighborhood. You know, um, I've got partners in this charity stuff, you know, in the charity coalition we'll talk about in a little bit, who can drop pins on homes that are sharing, you know, uh, the sexual abuse of children. And this isn't like 16-year-old girls, it's toddlers. And thousands, oh, thousands, in e thousands in each state, thousands. At any given moment, there's over 100,000 people in America, idiots, sharing graphic child sexual abuse material on torrent sites. Idiots. It's a felony. And this this isn't, like I said, 16-year-old girls. I mean, I'm going to be graphic for a second so people understand yeah. the gravity of this. The titles are three-year-old takes it in every hole for daddy. Right. That's the titles of this shit. This is what they're downloading. This wasn't like an oops. You know, um, so the reality of human trafficking, the reality of child exploitation is so bad that people aren't seeing the truth of it. What they are is they're focused on the the, the lies. Everybody's focused on Wayfair and Pizzagate and going yes. down rabbit holes and putting all these things together. Now, I'm not here to say they're true or not true. What I, what I can say is there's not a lot of real evidence to back any of those things up. It sounds sexy, you know? right? It, it, it sounds, the same oh, there's this huge yes. conspiracy. You know, there's this huge conspiracy going on and I'm in the know because I did this research and this guy was born on this date who had sex with this girl over here 10 years ago. And next thing you know, you're the dude from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia yeah, yeah, with yeah. red yarn all over the room. But no, that's that's great. You know, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and but the reality is, man, is human trafficking and child exploitation are a systemic problem that are all around us throughout the United States of America. Systemic problem. It's happening in every neighborhood. Child exploitation. Somebody either sharing or downloading the files, or harming a child. In this country, don't don't believe me? I'll show you. You know. So the the problem is that's the reality. But you have so many Americans fixated on all these huge stories and conspiracy theories. They're putting all their energy into you know something that may be true, might not be true. Who knows? But you know what? Is that worth your time when there are hundreds of thousands of people, living and breathing people here in the United States who are suffering and no one gives a shit? No one cares. The media won't cover it. News won't talk about it. You know, influencers and celebrities, most of them are terrified to speak out about it. Everybody's worried about losing followers, likes, clicks, and shares. Everyone's worried about losing their social media status. That's why and I love one, uh, Aston Kutcher. Yeah. He does all the stuff yeah. for Congress and stuff. It's like people yeah. asked him an interview a couple months ago, like, hey, are you, are you going to do movies, you get a TV show? Was, My fight right mm -hmm. now is to help these kids that don't have a fighting chance. Amen. And it's like, it's like that, that you need, that's leadership to me. That's someone that's taking a stand. You say, what? I've got millions upon millions in the yeah. bank. I'm going to put this to a good use. It's, it's so, yeah. I, I saw a two part question here. When you, when you talked about the stuff these people do on these torrent sites, when you when the, these guys get captured or women if after doing this stuff, is it wrong of me to just want to take them all back and shoot them? Like why? Uh, do, so, like in what? Like how do I? My anger towards hearing that I don't know if it's misguided mm -hmm. in the sense where mm -hmm. you can't be a vigilante, right? Obviously, now if that yeah. was my daughter or niece, you might as well just put the handcuffs on me because I'm going scorch yeah. earth, right? 
But how do I, as a citizen, control my anger to the point where it's beneficial to an Operation Lightshine, to a where it's like, how do you do it? Well, can I can I tell you the story of why I started Operation Lightshine real quick, so maybe you can understand how I did it. So this is your um, sister yeah. Sarah, correct? Yeah, yeah, my sister Sarah. You know, it's like I said, Green Beret. You know, uh, seventeen years of service at this point. I'm still not retired. I retire uh, December thirtieth. Uh, when um, I, I'm getting med boarded because stuff that happened to me in service, you know, and medically yeah. retired uh, December thirtieth. And uh, when that process started, it was right after I decided to start light shine. So light shine started to get some traction. And, you know, um, I'm not gonna say any names or anything like that, but my command told me, get the fuck out of here and save kids. Badass. Yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, I follow orders. That's what yeah. I've been doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, uh, I started the charity, uh, cause I lost my sister. So, uh, November 5th, 2019, I got a call from my mom that my little sister Sarah was taken and disappeared. Uh, man, you know, my just a little backstory. My sister, you know, drugs. It started with pills and Xanax and party <laughs> stuff and pot. And the next thing you know, she went down the rabbit holes, man. No, but I'm I'm 10 years older than her. And, you know, I had been all over the world with work. So my parents kept a lot of her life hidden from me because they were scared of what I might do, right? Uh, but also, you know, I was detached from it. I just heard the stories my mom would tell me. It was it was tough on my family. It was hell on my family. It was tough on me to know that my little sister had done that. I mean, I got a family full of, you know, doctors and successful yeah. you know, business people. And, you know, we're all everyone is just crushed life. And then you see my sister, you know, at, at, towards the end doing heroin. And, and, and um, you know, obviously fentanyl and all this other stuff. And it, it hurt. It hurt a lot. You know, that's, my, that's my little sister. It's my little, you know. Yeah. And so the little girl, you know, we used to beat up his little kids. But, you know, anybody else mess with her, we'd destroy her soul, you know. And it was tough, man. But November 5th, 2019, um, I got a call from my mom that she she had went missing. It was this was different because she would always have her cell phone on her and she would always respond to texts because yeah, obviously when you have a very bad drug problem and and parents who are you know upper middle class decently to do people, um, it's very simple to you know call mom and get money because mom doesn't want you to end up correct you know, on the streets. Well, unfortunately, what I found out after she was taken that was the case. Um, she had been on, you know, the worst of drugs get, the worst of people get. So she got involved with this group of people who deals heroin and fentanyl and everything else. And they take advantage of women. You know, uh, this is all too common throughout America right now because of this fentanyl epidemic that we're living in. It's out of control. Yeah. What's happening with fentanyl. And especially it happens to men too, but more often than not, women are, are you know, the only thing they have once they're out of money or don't have a job as a drug user in their life is they can sell themselves to, to get to, for their fix. And unfortunately, guys that sell the drugs take advantage of these women. They traffic them, prostitute them out, rape them themselves, beat them. You know, it's the, the gateway drug into prostitution and trafficking is, is heroin and fentanyl, right? And that was happening to my sister. I didn't know that. You know, I found that out after she was taken. Um. But she's taken this guy who had beaten the shit out of her, uh, you know, months ago. She promised she'd never see again, never go to again. This guy picks her up. We've got it on a doorbell camera. 
uh, and uh, he may, he said some story, you know, we, we still don't know what happened. The story he said is that she, uh, you, you know, went to Mississippi with some guys. So when the cops first you know, investigated, they were just like, oh, well, she went to Mississippi with some guys. So we got a, a girl who's, you know, been in multiple trouble, you know, uh, you know, multiple yeah. things with the law, has a record, isn't living the best life. I'm not saying that's why the cops didn't look for her, but I'm pretty sure when you have a stack of murders and missing people, you're not busting your butt to to save Correct. the girl that has a drug problem. She's not the prom queen. I get that. But also at the same time, she's a person. She was my sister, right? Well, nothing happens. The cop's answer was basically, if we hear anything, we'll let you know. Now, me being a Green Beret, all the other stuff I've done in my career, counterterrorism, man, it <laughs> took every ounce in me to not go get vigilante justice, to not just go start dropping bodies. And uh, because the thing I realized, one, if I did that, if I, I don't know what happened to my sister, I don't know where she is, but if I had done that, then I would not be able to be the dad to these two girls. Correct. You know, I'd be in jail. Um, I would not be, you know, I would throw my life away and potentially my daughter's lives away without a father. Um trying to get you know revenge for my sister i wrestled with that every single day so much that when her body was found in a river in mississippi on christmas eve 2019 i was like this is it you know I almost loaded up the boys we almost went down there and took care yep. of every single person right you know maybe one day no i'm totally kidding joking. yeah yeah for you. Uh, but um, you know, at that ability, these guys are scum of the earth. They're, they're, you know, losers, you know, just drugged out losers who are taking advantage of women and men. Uh, but what I knew was, is if I did something right, if I did something, then my life would be over. My daughter's life would be over. And all I would get was revenge, right? These assholes will get what's coming to them, but I couldn't swallow that pill at first. So, you know, this was the, uh, Christmas Eve, 2019, when she was found. So, you know, fast forward in early 2020, the Special Forces Group pulls me out of operations. Uh, I'm basically, uh, I'm a JTAC instructor. It's one of the jobs that I did, yeah. but not, nothing that I really enjoyed. So you know, I'm just a JTAC instructor, I'm not working. I'm trying to be there for my my uh, my family. And um I hit rock bottom, man. You know, there was the lockdown started. I'm just in my apartment in downtown Nashville. I, I just became a depressed, angry drunk. Angry. Yep. Angry at myself for not doing more. Angry at the cops for not doing any more. Some days I would blame my sister. Some days I would blame my parents. I was a, I was a mess. Man, I that was the lowest point of my life uh, at that because I felt like the biggest failure uh that i couldn't help my own sister but here i am i could drop a bomb on a terrace for digging a hole right you know and uh well yeah he's he's up to no good Boop, you know yep. and, and but here i am back in the states you know, you know i can't even keep my own sister safe the cops can't keep my own sister safe that's what i thought at the time it's like what are these guys doing do they even know how to do their job you know yeah you know, I, I don't even remember how many people I cussed out and probably need to apologize to the Memphis Police Department <laughs> and everywhere else. But, you know, you know, I, I was a ball of anger and rage and all I had in almost committed suicide a couple of times, you know, just sitting there with the gun, staring at it drunk. You know, it was bad. Um, but I started playing Call of Duty. This is what changed my life. 
I started playing Call of Duty all day, every day, because I had literally nothing yes. else to do, nowhere else to go. I like so many Americans, I'm sure. Well, in playing Call of Duty, um, there's this thing where if you kill enough people in multiple different ways, your gun gets gold, right? Yes. Prestige, right? Or something? Yeah. For yeah. Prestige. Yeah. And you get a gold gun. <laughs> and so I finally, this day came where I did the last thing and I got the gold gun and I'm all excited. I'm like, oh shit, you know, I got the gold gun. You know, like, I'm just like a cloud nine. Finally, my whole life, it's come down to this. Like, right. What the fuck are you doing that? Yeah. You know, here I am, you know, a green beret, all the other stuff, Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan, Syria, travel all the world. You know, can't even talk about, you know, half the stuff I've done in my life. And I'm sitting in an apartment, drunk, depressed, hating my life, playing Call of Duty. Like, bro, like how the, how the, how I have right. fallen. That was my wake up call. And I did something that I hadn't done and I can't remember. I said a prayer. Uh, I prayed that uh, for you know, God, somebody, you know, you know, show me, show me a way. So I started Googling human trafficking, started looking into to how bad it is. I started looking into, hey, man, like there's charities that do stuff about this. And I was like, wait a second. You know, and I started to learn about all these charities that are out there. They get guys like me and they go, you know, hunt human traffickers and save kids. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, that's the ticket. But then I was like, no one's doing it here in the States. You know, there's there's people that donate stuff to the police. I was like, nobody's hunting these assholes in the States. All these charities are, you know, just going overseas and taking all these donors' money overseas and saving kids. Now, life is a life. A person's a person. And yes, we do a lot of stuff and support a lot of stuff overseas. But I'm like... I couldn't even help my own sister in America. Right. So what am I going to do here in America? Right. So I became obsessed and um, I Googled how to start a charity. I, you know, found an entertainment lawyer through a friend, wrote up all the charity, you know, stuff that you need for a 501c3 and bylaws and incorporated all that nonsense. And I was like, I'm doing this. But my first thought was, I am going to, you know, do this vigilante stuff here in America. I'm going to get the boys and the girls together. We're going to do this Intel special operation style mission here in America. We'll go wrap these dudes up, put them in cuffs and drop them on the police's doorstep. Kind of like Batman. Yeah. Not really. I did not really think this through. I was, I was, I was in obsession mode, right? I was like, I'm going to do something. I couldn't save my sister, but you know what? I'm going to save another kid. I'm going to save somebody else from her fate, you know, it, it, you know, take that pain and put it to purpose. Uh, so, so yeah, so I do, I do all that and um, build up this system. We've got hackers and all these crazy ideas and we're about to launch. And luckily for me, what changed my life, created Operation Lightshine and has led me on this unbelievable journey. It still hadn't been easy, but it's been unbelievable. Uh, was I had a buddy, uh have a buddy uh who is a homeland security agent by day and a starving uh you know country artist at night here in nashville and oh yeah you know he uh good he's a good friend great guy he's like matt you need to talk to somebody you know what you're what you're wanting to do it's like it's vigilante it's legal it's like batman bro uh you know you're gonna get in trouble yeah, you know, yeah right you're gonna save like one or two and then it's over you know uh, and then you're going to be asking for leniency because you did so much cool stuff in your life. You're basically throwing your life away. And 
You, know, you don't have to be so direct about it, man. So anyways, um, long story short, I finally get the opportunity to meet with a gentleman named Jim Cole. Jim Cole is considered one of the top experts in the world at fighting child exploitation. He's one of the developers of the victim-centric approach on how they combat this crime to rescue the victims and then identify the offenders. And he's he's a, a chair of the uh, board, board of child crimes uh, for Interpol. I mean, widely respected around the world, knows everybody in this space. You know, there's very few people like him. With my luck, he ends up doing the last two years. He moves from D.C. Those last two years as a Homeland Security agent he's doing in Nashville, Tennessee. So I got the best dude in the world in my yeah. backyard, right? So let's go. Let's uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll set up a meeting with Jim Cole. It took three months, right? Uh, so I go into this room, and it's full of Homeland Security agents. It's got Dennis Fetting, who oversees trafficking yeah. for Homeland Security security and jim cole in there and uh all you know a bunch of agents some fbi people were there and i'm like oh shit what did i get myself into man so i'm like i'm excited walking in this room like i think they're about to eat this up right you know like this idea you know like thumbs up me and i uh i i gave jim i told him every idea I had, and i was met with that's illegal that's vigilante <laughs> We'll arrest you, put you in jail. Someone already does that much better than you can do at the scale that you're at. And uh, yeah, you're so, and I, and by the end of that happened, man, I, I went in this room on cloud nine and now everything that I've just been working on for the past few months just went out the window. So the way Jim says it, I don't remember what I I said exactly because I've been blown up so many times. My short-term memory is shot. Uh, But he said, I, I leaned back in the chair. I remember looking up, just kind of said a little quick little prayer in my head, you know, like, and then I just looked at him. I was like, dude, you tell me that, you know, you tell me what I can do, you know, to honor my sister and, 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 you know, with the charity and save lives. So Jim's been an agent for, you know, going on 30 years. He retires in March and he had this concept of bringing federal, state and local law enforcement together in a unified task force to fight this you know this this crime set trafficking child exploitation because even though the modalities are completely different the tools the investigative resources and the the you know uh, and the techniques are very similar right so it's like wait a second and i started to learn what i didn't know about the cops in memphis it's not that they probably didn't care it's that they're overworked it's that they're understaffed they're under resourced they're under trained they're under equipped and technology or the use of it is almost non-existent unless you're in the biggest law enforcement departments. I didn't know all these things. Most people assume that the cops, like kid goes missing. They just hop on this little computer and boom, 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 boom. They're triangulating the cell phone and, you know, know everywhere you've been and everything that you've done. And, you know, they're going to go rescue this kid. That's not real life. They can't do that. They have to submit warrants and they have to get something, you know, there's, that's just not real life. And on their desk is a stack of cases, you know, murders, robberies, aggravated assaults, domestic violence, all this other stuff that they've got to deal with. And at the end of the day, when it comes to trafficking and exploitation, the amount of technology, the amount of investigative resources and just physical boots on the ground time it takes to work through these these things most police departments, if not all, do not have the resources they need to adequately tackle this problem. 
Like, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Operation Lightshot is now going to create task forces. We're going to create them all across America, and we're going to support them with the model that I know that fought the global war on terror. We're going to bring in the tech. We're going to bring in the intel analysts. We're going to bring in all of the right people, the subject matter experts, and we are going to support the police and equip the police with every single thing they possibly need so that if a child goes missing, we'll find them. If, if there's trafficking rings, we'll take them down. Yeah. And if there's exploitation going on, the second we'll be proactive about it. Because here's the problem, and this is the truth. Since 1998, it's 1998, uh, this is a, from Nick This is the actual data, not the bullshit you see on the internet. The actual data, there have been 123,000 reports, and still grows every day, of child trafficking. 123,000, okay? On the same token, there have been over 128 million incidents of child exploitation since that same time frame. Jeez. So child exploitation, child exploitation outnumbers the the potential cases that they could get to if they had the ability outnumbers human trafficking a thousand to one. Jeez. That number since COVID has skyrocketed off of the model of growth. It's in, it's out of control now. There are over three hundred and sixty six million images and videos depicting the graphic rape of an infant, toddler, or child on the internet right now, 366 million, you know, so that's what we're up against. And that 123,000, that's a lot of kids being traveled. That's just what they know about. Right. You know, the, the, the exploitation, it's a little bit better to, for statistics because it happens in the digital world, but that's just what they found. Now right? I know we had talked about this okay before we start recording, but like the Balagencia ad stuff, when it's so in your face like that, is that yeah. considered an example of exploitation of a child? With the yeah, get masks they're, they're, and like the leather? They're promoting it. Right. They're promoting the sexualization of a child. Yeah, of course. You know, so I don't like to call child exploitation child exploitation because I don't think it it does the proper, it, it, it doesn't do what happens to these kids, the justice, right? right. So they call... The, the right now the legal statute calls the production of pictures and videos of a child being uh, abused, molested, raped, or just that imagery of a new child. Yes. They, they call that child pornography. Okay, that's not pornography, right? So we call it child sexual abuse material, yep. right? I call it child rape material because. You're literally violating a minor who has no say, no right, no protection. You're violating a minor's innocence, and it's adult doing it. To me, that's the most evil thing you can possibly do is the rape, molest, or harm an innocent child who looks to an adult to, for protection. To me, there's I don't know if there's anything more evil than that. Right. Once you've crossed that line, it... yeah, you're done. Yeah, in my in my mind, you're 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 the devil. The, anyways, uh, to kind of before you go any further, yeah. I when I started the podcast, I had Dr. Lois Lee on the show. She was I think she was my first or second guest, and so she started Children of the Night back in the seventies and helping these prostituted women and stuff get off the streets. So I, I had that. And I had met I was met with just a ton of reception, but the subject matter was very. People tried YouTube pulled my video for like two months because they thought whatever. It's back up there now. So, but I got. 
reached out to by an organization that solved the interview. It was like, oh yeah, we'd love to be at your show. This is what we are. And it was a obviously anti-child pornography. Like very it was it's it seemed like on the up and up, like whatever. So when I talked mm-hmm. to the founder, and I'm not gonna name him or whatever, yeah. but he was like, I am a recovering uh child uh uh sex uh, not a uh what a, a um what is it with a the person's child a sex predator? offender a child pre- yes Reco- yeah. recovering child predator and i started this organization because i realized my actions i'm looking to make sure it doesn't happen again and my first thought was to grab this guy through the phone and just punch him but then i sit back yeah. and i, I kind of take a deep breath and go hey like i appreciate what you're trying to do now but there's just some stuff I can't understand or don't want to put the time in to understand. Thank you for your time. And to your point, once you do cross that threshold, sure, okay, man, oh yeah, I'm gonna change my ways. But you already did the most evil thing you could do on earth. And it's like, how do you it just blew my mind. These type of organizations are promoting you could be you could come back from this. Or worst case, if you are a pedophile. You're not actually bad. You can become a new letter in the LGBTQT type thing, and it's just like I don't understand it. I don't understand a lot of things that are going on in the world right now, brother. I I don't. Uh, to me, I feel like I'm living in the movie Idiocracy every time I <laughs> yeah. watch the news or pick up my phone. The the way that people think and the the decisions they're making these days or what they believe in. Uh, none of it makes sense, but it all comes from this. Yeah. Well, it all is delivered to you on this, but you don't really know where it's coming from, right? right. Everyone's agenda could be out there. Everyone can have access to you. Whoever has the most money wins your time and wins your thoughts and can yeah. steer and navigate your morality or your conscience. So, no, I personally, now I'm not a doctor. Uh, I will start <laughs> off by saying that. I think once you've crossed that line, to where you have harmed a child to me there there's no forgiveness in that you know um i'm not god i'm not jesus it's not my job to forgive you um you know but for me there's no forgiveness in that i don't believe there is any going back from that once you've accomplished something most evil you, you know i don't you're capable of that again in, in my mind you, you know that's why in the military we get put through hell Physically, mentally, we get put in situations where we can screw up and make mistakes because you don't know who someone is until they're given a choice, right? right. Everybody's a great person until they're the, until they're put in the flames, right? Everybody's, you know, a, a, a pastor, a preacher, a respectable man until he's in a hotel with a prostitute and some cocaine, you know, like you don't know. What, how, who people are until they've been through things with you, until they've proven themselves to you, they've chosen the, the the rights over the easy wrongs. Yeah. So, not to go on a tangent, but for me, there's no recovery. No, there's once you've been able to hurt a child. What they've also found, which is scary, I'm, I'm not going to be able to remember the study, but you can Google it. Um, you can Google anything, right? Um, apparently, one percent <laughs> of adults are sexually attracted to children. Yes. Like again, I'm I'm not a mathematician, but that's a lot of people. Yeah, uh, a whole lot of people. Now, that's not saying that one percent are going to go uh, act out on that, right? Uh, but that means one percent are maybe thinking about it, or maybe watching videos. Uh, you know, and here here's where we're at now, though. That I think we're we're experiencing something else as a society we've never experienced before. 
if you go back 15 years, right? Let's say I went to my buddy's house and he had a daughter and his daughter ran downstairs in her underwear or something. First you'd be like, oh God, you know, hey, go put some clothes on, you know, whatever. And and then you would, you know, like you would you would shield yourself from that. But you would never even be able to come into the house where you would be even, even able to see that unless the parents trusted you, right? Right. And you, you would yeah. never be experienced to seeing underage girls or seeing all this kind of stuff or, or, or be put in these kind of situations, right? Well, welcome to TikTok. You know, what we're seeing is grown men. There's no age filters. There's no, you know, like, you know, oh, she's 12 eh, eh, or you can't see it, you know. So you're seeing men scrolling through their TikToks or their Instagrams and a 14-year-old girl looks a lot like an 18-year-old girl. And then they're like, well, that 12-year-old girl looks a lot like that 14-year-old girl. You see where I'm going with this? Because they're sexualizing themselves. They're making these hot, sexy videos, wearing the makeup. And you're seeing these guys go down these social media rabbit holes. Yeah. And uh, they leave and comments we, too that are like yes, not only very graphic and very direct. And it's like who's who's monitoring this stuff? Because these kids right. will see no those one. comments be like, oh my God, that man with the beard loves me. And I'm gonna send him a message. Yeah. And then he starts grooming these kids. And a lot of men are getting led into it, you know. And I'm not saying I agree, but let's say if you're one of those one percent that's predispositioned, you know, yeah. dispositioned, I get to be attracted to kids. And you're scrolling, and this fuck, man, this just happened to a uh, a uh, guy in third group. Girl on TikTok, you know, developed some kind of thing, and then met up with her and raped her, and she was thirteen or fourteen. Jesus, this happened last week. It's happening all across the country in ways we've never seen it because guys have the ability to see and be attracted to and converse with children in ways they've never been able to. I'm not saying. I understand, but I'm saying I, I I see how it can happen. I'm not an idiot. I can see if you're an adult on TikTok and a 14-year-old girl is doing a dance and runnerwear with her friends that are hit, just hit puberty and you're starting to start watch this video or you like the video or you're looking at more of her videos. Now you have access to that girl because I can like it. I can send her a message. I can, you know, start to try to, you know, in 14, 12, 10, where does it stop? You know, we're we're giving everyone access to our kids, but we're allowing our kids to give them stuff to want to access them with. Right. So parents are failing just as much as they're failing. Your 10-year-old daughter should not be doing sexy dances on TikTok, nor should your 14-year-old daughter. Correct. So where everyone can see them do it. You know, because if, if you're going to allow them to turn themselves into a sex symbol, unfortunately, in this world, you're allowing other people to view them as a sex symbol. And it's not their peers. They could be 30, 40, 50, 70. You know, so parents are just as much, and I'm not saying they're to blame for the evil act, but a lot of parents through just their, you know, inability to think this through are complicit in this because they're allowing their children to sexualize themselves in avenues where everyone has access to, you know, it, it's like, it, it mind blown to me that parents don't get this, you know, and, and see this correlation. Stop letting your kids create these accounts. Stop letting your children live their lives on social media. Yes. Social media can be good in small doses, yeah. regulated doses, monitored doses in China. China, you can uh, be on TikTok 40 minutes a day if you're under the age of 14. 
And the only content you can see on TikTok in China is like in those music or like science or math or like, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. America, you can spend seven to nine hours a day, which is the average amount of time a teenage girl spends on TikTok a day. I don't know how they do it. Uh, and what are they looking at? There are self-esteem issues from other hot girls, bullying issues. They found that cutting and depression videos have been algorithmically steered towards kids. Yeah. They're constantly comparing and judging themselves. There's no empathy or apathy for others anymore because they can be bullied or mean to anybody because they can gang up with others. They can be put, They have, predators have access to them. When you, when you allow your kids to, to have free reign for seven, nine hours a day on a phone, you as a parent... And even the school are no longer the biggest influences on that child's life. Whoever they're following, whoever they're secretly talking to, whatever videos they're watching, whoever's tailored their propaganda or their marketing or whatever to your kid now owns your child's brain. Right. You don't, you don't any. And if you think you're due, you're lying to yourself to make yourself feel better. Crazy. You know, that's, that's where we're at as a society. So, so we need parents to be parents again, because obviously TikTok in America isn't, isn't making sure that American kids are okay and right. get 40 minutes and get educated. TikTok, TikTok of America is making sure American kids are all kinds of effed up. No, That's hell what yeah. TikTok of America is doing. And, yeah, go ahead. No, so, and, and what's, why? Why would they do that? Yeah. You know? It's easy. Uh, before I let you go here, Matthew, this has been awesome. If someone wants to reach out to Operation Lightshine or get involved in some way or whatever, what's the best avenue to do that for them? Well, so we, through our website, uh, our Instagram, uh, you know, Facebook is pretty much buried, buried us under the Facebook al algorithm gel. Yeah. Um, but Instagram has been pretty good. I mean, people can interact with us. I mean, you know, and uh, send messages. We, we uh, got a couple email addresses to reach out for info to volunteer. But, you know, just real quick, uh, you know, our task force concept, we launched it in Nashville, Tennessee, um, you know, and in February of this year. So last year, Homeland Security alone had 20 rescues uh, in Middle Tennessee. Since February of this year, uh, the task force is up to 59. So we've we've tripled the amount of rescues in just phase one of the task force. It's caught on so well. I've been in meetings with Jeez. this point. 15 governors to move to their states. Um, so we're, we're already expanding into Florida. We've got a task force in Jacksonville, soon to launch one in Fort Myers in Tampa, uh, hopefully January, February. Uh, we're looking at moving into Virginia now, Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri, Ohio. We, we've been in talks with a lot of different states. Uh, but, you know, one thing I did, this model works, you know, and the partnerships and the people that we've had come onto the team to support the police in these rescues to make the police be able to go from just reactive to where they're proactively out there and keeping our community safe you know because these police want to do that they just Correct. don't have the help they don't have the support they and so i've dedicated you know i spent the first half of my adult life as as a soldier uh, but i have dedicated the 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 last part of my life until the day i die to doing everything i can to save children to support the police and the brave men and women and law enforcement around this country and being able to do that job to the best of their ability. And by just simply saying, what do you need? So we're expanding these task forces across the country, but we can only move as fast as the money comes in. Now, here's what I want people to understand. Yes, this charity is only two years old. You know, it's only two years old, but 
in two years, we've rescued thousands of people from Afghanistan, rescued tons of people in Ukraine. We, uh, through our coalition and partnerships, we've either financially or in, in other ways supported operations all over the world. And now we have a functioning task force with federal, state, and local cooperation here in uh, in the state of Tennessee. And we're expanding task forces across the state of Florida. And the reason we've gotten this done is because this charity might be new, but this is done with law enforcement. This is done with the best in the world through our charity partners. And this is exploding because before I asked anyone for a dime, before I asked anyone for a dime, I made sure that we built the best product available to actually make a difference here in the United States of America that's going to save our children. And we have the best people. We've been able to find the best technology. And the only way, the only thing we need in order to expand this concept and bring it to regions and states across this country is we need people to realize that we're the truth. We're not, we're not some, you know, fake, or, you know, throw numbers around, put billboards up charity. We're putting their donor dollars into the tech, the resources, the equipment that the cops need. And we're literally changing the way that they can fight this fight. And if you don't believe me, come check the task force out here in Nashville, Tennessee. Come talk to the officers that are on the task force. Talk to the officers on the task forces we're starting in Florida. And we, we're moving this as fast as we can. But this has been done with the experts. And we built something that does work. And so we are legit. We're not putting up billboards. We're not bitching online. We're not <laughs> yeah. throwing around false statistics. We're putting our putting our money where their mouth is, and we're getting results, and we're changing people's lives. And as long as I'm the president of Lightshine, still breathing, we will continue to do that. No, it's uh, it's awesome stuff. Uh, thank you, Murphy uh, or Matthew, for your service uh, and thank your you. continued service to the country and to helping these kids and these people. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully each day more people see the light and more people get pulled out of the darkness. And uh, it's an honor to really spend time with you. No, I mean, I really appreciate you having me. And, uh, you know, thank you for giving me, uh, you know, uh, an audience, you know, to, to discuss with the people that follow you and support your podcast. And, uh, yeah, just um, you know, hit us up on Instagram. Shoot us a message if you'd like to get involved. You can you, there's links to donate on the website and on Instagram. And um yeah, I, I'm just uh, looking forward to expand this across the country and continue to meet uh, awesome uh, individuals like yourself and share the message. And, uh, you know, we got to mortify, brother. No, oh, I love it. Thank you, sir. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spirit Talk, and I want to talk to you about nice fucking candles. We are lucky to have nice fucking candles as a sponsor of the podcast. And if you use code SPEARTALK15, you get 15% off your first order or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through Nice Fucking Candles. Nice Fucking Candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65-hour burn time, maybe more, if you uh, nurse the flame a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles, but I will say these things burn a long fucking time. You ask you about the wick, it's a double wick for even burning, which is amazing. And uh, they come in three incredible flavors. Uh, I'm not sure if you're gonna be eating these candles, but if you do like them, the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng, tobacco and fireside, and seaside and driftwood. Once again, uh, nice fucking candles. They are the candle company for Spear Talk. And if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. 
Thank you. Check them out. Love, nice fucking candle. Thiessen, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.